welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. Okay, we're back at the podcast Innovative Legal Leadership. I'm your host, Jim Delcusis, and here we talk to general counsel of world-leading companies and see what we can learn. And today, I'm really super pleased to have Rob Fletcher, the Chief Legal Officer of Stryker, join us. Hi, Rob. How are you doing? I'm great, Jim. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Fantastic. Yeah, super, super excited, Rob. First thing I usually do in these interviews, I do a high-level review or shout-out of the career of my guests. I can see you, you started off at the law firm Katz & Teller for a few years. You moved to GE for a few years after that. But most of your career has been in the pharma side. I think since 2004 at Johnson & Johnson, you headed it up globally, Johnson & Johnson's Worldwide Litigation Department. And I've got to tell you, I love a litigator. A soft spot in my heart, of course, spent 25 years doing the very same thing i was only in that role for about three months so sorry three months Uh, okay (laughs) and then you took on the chief legal officer role at striker right tell us a little bit about kind of the journey there was it planned did you always want to be to gc i love the audience to hear a little bit about your journey yeah no so i always tell people i never really imagined myself as a general counsel that was definitely not my career goal yeah. You know, I when I was at my law firm, I was doing a lot of corporate and real estate work and it didn't I loved the people, it didn't really like the work. And my wife's an, a lawyer too and we both went in-house at about the same time and you know, I told her I was like, "Hey, listen, I'm going to give this about a year and if it doesn't get better, I'm going to go figure out a different career because this isn't working for me." Yeah. And I was at GE for like two weeks and I'm like, this is what I was built to do. I really loved the business lawyer role, really enjoyed it. Was there for like four years. Very, very cool business. Really interesting. I learned a ton. I was probably just over 30 years old and was, you know, kind of like at a senior you know, one of their biggest business units, kind of their their chief lawyer. So it's a ton of fun. I learned a lot and then I had an opportunity to go to J&J and then, you know, kind of was, again, loved the business lawyer role and yeah. then had an opportunity to take on a management and leadership role. And that I think was a big point for me because it took me a little while, but I learned to love the coaching aspect of it versus being the player. Right. And then it just kind of led to successive opportunities and, you know, kind of more leadership roles and global roles. And then I moved from device to pharmaceuticals and then was just in the litigation role for a little bit. And the opportunity at Stryker came and, you know, maybe for the last three or four years, you know, general counsel was something I was thinking about and I thought I would like to do it. And this this opportunity at Stryker came about and I thought it was actually an opportunity that I thought would suit me better than anything else that I had seen. And so I jumped at it and it's been great. Been in the role, but it'll be two years next month. So it's been a, it's been a lot of fun, interesting Last 12 months, like everybody else, but yeah, yeah, learned a ton. Now, I'm going to come back to the coaching and the team building that because I think it's a really important part of anyone's career. Could you give me a few highlights? If you you look back across the different kind of roles and industries, what are some of the kind of standout highlights for you? Yeah, I think what I would say is that early on, I learned to love the business. Yeah, Like I, you know, I probably realized too late in life that I should have gone to business school. Yeah. And uh, not law school. I mean, I. Oh, it's never too late. And I, and I tell people, you know, when, when people come to me and say, hey, my, you know, my daughter or son wants to be a lawyer, will you talk to them? I'm like, well, do you really want them to be a lawyer? Yeah. Because I'm not sure I'm the right person to talk to because I kind of got lucky. Yeah. I love having the legal niche knowledge, 
but getting apply it to the, to the business. So early yep. on in that GE role, I really learned to love the business. And what I learned, and I, and I think this kind of probably held me back when I was at the law firm, is I didn't understand how these businesses work. And I think as I learned how the business worked, it made me a better lawyer. It made me a better business partner. And then that's just kind of carried through my whole career is just like, you know, I kind of get the business. I kind of understand the levers and I can try to help, you know, from a legal perspective and now from a legal and compliance perspective, helping the business to accomplish what it wants to accomplish, but do so in a way that, you know, we do it the right way. We mitigate risk and so on and so forth, but we, we win, but we win the right way. And it's, to me, it's a ton of fun. I reckon that's why secondments early in your career as a lawyer, when you're working at a law firm are so valuable, getting into the business side and understanding. Oh, absolutely. Understanding yeah. the context in which you're providing all that kind of advice, because certainly in my career, when I had secondees coming in and out of my group, I never really had one said, oh, that was a waste of time going into the business. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I just think also as a, I like the team aspect of it. I like yeah. winning. Yeah. Right. And I like the business to win. I like the business to succeed and I like being a part of it. And, you know, we talk about within my team, you know, whatever analogy you want to use, whether it's a sports or a rock band or whatever, it's like, we're not going to be at the front necessarily. You know, you may not be the quarterback or the, the yep. lead singer, but you got to keep time in the base, you know, with the base and keep things moving. And, and you know, when necessary, you got to be the star. But that supportive role to me is a ton of fun when you're in a good business that's winning and, and you can help them compete in the marketplace. To me, it's much more valuable experience and much yeah. more fulfilling than what I was doing in the law firm. So talk a little bit about that, the building of the team. Again, when I think about my career, it's always been about achievements, not at an individual level, but the, what the team was able to do. Yeah. When you're looking for those skill set to build a team around you, no doubt you did a bit of that, I suppose, when you yep. first went to Striker. Tell me about the kind of attributes. What are you looking for when building a core team around you? For me, particularly at this level, right, because my team you know, the people that I hire to be, you know, my direct reports, I need them to be big people leaders, right? Yeah. Developers of talent, you know, the ability to kind of see potential, develop potential, help with talent, because, you know, as you know, if you get the right people, everything else becomes a little easier, yep. right? But also, you know, you want people who are solutions oriented, problem solvers. Again, I, you know, I'm biased. I want that person who understands the business, you know, who's a, is a deep learner, and it's going to help the business solve problems. And the other thing I love is, you know, I call them athletes, people who can, I can put it, you know, I guess it's agility, right? People yep. who can do a lot of different things, who can go to do a little different role, who want, you know, if, if you need some help in employment, they can go do employment. They can, you know, I can move you from legal to compliance or compliance to legal or, or what have you. And, you know, you always have niche specialists, but that yep. ability to play bigger, because even if you're like the best IP lawyer in the world, I need you to have good business sense and I need you to be able to talk to the business like, you know, a business partner and be able to communicate with them and, and have that agility to kind of, you know, flex and move yeah. and be the, be the kind of, you know, lawyer or compliance person that business people want to talk to. Yeah. I had Cameron Finlay from the general counsel at Archer Daniels Midland here a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things he talked about when giving advice to the junior lawyers is don't specialize too quickly, too narrowly. Right. Because that's exactly what you miss. You miss the flexibility. I think you're right. There has to be a, a bit of all-rounder about you to be able to sit above a number of problems and be solution-orientated. So, yeah, 100% agree with you. You know, like early in my career, like when I was, you know, the, the business lawyer, the part I liked the best was like you, you never knew what you're going to work on that day. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I had no antitrust experience when I went to GE and my job was almost all antitrust. And then, you know, when I went to J and J, there was a period of time when I didn't have employment support. So I had become a de facto (laughs) employment lawyer, but I loved it, you know, because I I realized again, like my attention span is such that I I want stuff that moves quick. It's new. And kind of being a, a mile wide and an inch deep is is better for me. Yeah, it's the learning too. I think the learning, the new oh, yeah. stuff, yeah, it makes any job exciting. That kind of dovetails into my next question about how you've seen the role, I suppose, of the general counsel evolve, you know, in the past few years, and also what you think about how it might start looking like in the future. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. When, you know, when I think back earlier in my career. And this, this is probably not the fairest of comparisons, right? But when I was at GE, I got to go to their famous learning facility in Crotonville, New York, yep. for a development program for lawyers. And the general counsel at the time was Ben Heineman, who is kind of like, you know, on the Mount Rushmore of general count- yep. counsel, right? <laughs> but he literally like helicoptered in and helicoptered out, right? Came in, spoke for 45 minutes, left. Yep. And, you know, then I went to J&J and, you know, I worked for two general counsels there and they ran a whole different program right? They're very approachable. They wanted to know people. They wanted people to have an avenue to come to them, you know, so that they had a pulse of what was happening in the department. Again, it's it's probably not fair because GE was so huge at the time, but for me, kind of the transparency, the approachability, the authenticity, the the stuff you hear about, like with servant leadership. And I obviously Heinemann was an unbelievable leader, but I think, you know, over the past five or 10 years, you see that kind of you know, the approachability of senior leadership and yep. the transparency and authenticity and all that. I think that's going to continue. I think the next generation of compliance professionals and legal professionals are going to require that. Yeah. So there'll, there'll be less of the, I suppose I'm thinking about the word untouchable. In a sense, the, yeah. that leadership level was so high, it might have felt untouchable. And, and I mean, I have a huge role to play in being the lawyer for the CEO and the board and the senior yep. leadership team. But I spend more time making sure that the team is supporting the businesses out, you know, all over the globe and making sure that, you know, the people that are out selling our products and, you know, making their tough regulatory decisions and so on and so forth have the support. I mean, I have to keep the, you know, my clients happy too, but it's, I spend more time on the team. Yep than I do, you know, on the black letter law stuff. I mean, if the black letter law stuff is coming to me, something's gone wrong. Something's wrong. Yeah. yeah. Either something wrong or it's just high yeah. profile, right? Yeah. It might not be going wrong. It's just maybe high profile enough that I have to get involved. So again, when people ask me what I do, that's the part that I like the most. Yeah. Right. Is the support of the team. There's a couple of themes that have been running through a number of the discussions, certainly that my team and I have been having with general counsel. And let me just run those themes by you. So I'd like to get mm-hmm. your thoughts on them. The first one, the need to run the legal department like a business. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's that's kind of a table a stakes. Critical, it's critical. You have yep. to, right? Yep. I mean, from, you know, you have to run a talent offense, you have to be, you know, developing your people, getting the best people, developing the best people, retaining the best people. You have to be servicing the clients, right? You have a product to deliver. I think more and more we're being asked to, to the extent that we can quantify our value, right? I mean, there is, we are part of the business. Everybody has a job to do and we have to prove our value. And then finally, and I mean, this will come as no surprise, right? You got to hit your number. Right. We all have a budget, both inter- internal and, you know, ours is different and not, 
ours, you know, I'm not different from any other general counsel in terms of managing internal and external costs, right? But so much of our costs are external that, you know, that is a big area of focus for us, but that's, that's with everyone, right? Yep. It's maybe, maybe less so with HR, you know, the other functions that you think of in a, in a company, but yeah, I mean, we have a business, right? We have assets and resources. We have to deploy them the right way. We have to support them and our people. And we've, we got a bottom line that we got to hit. So that's a kind of a non-negotiable. And presumably you're accountable. You're accountable oh, to do so. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Another thing, a number, well, almost every organization to one degree or another is on a journey of some kind of digitization. What does that mean for legal departments and specifically for, for your legal department? Is there, do you feeling that a pressure to digitize parts or all of the function? Yeah, I think we feel that pressure. I, I, I will say this is one where I don't necessarily know where it's going to go. Yeah. I mean, like on the running, running the department like a business, I'm much more comfortable with that. Yep. I, I mean, I need to get more comfortable with the digitization. And I really, I, I kind of think more about, you know, 10 years ago, we were thinking about, okay, how do you automate contracts? How do you yep. get out yep. from the tactical work and get to the strategic work? We still are trying to figure that out. I think the next page, and, and maybe others are already there, and we probably need to catch up a little bit is, and we're getting better at this, is how are we using data? How are we using data to drive decisions? Are we, you know, we've, we just instituted one thing where we might be getting a little bit better data to help us identify risk and mitigate risk and kind of, again, deliver value to the business of saying, hey, business, this is what you're telling us. Here's what we see as, you know, some areas for you to focus on. And here's how can we help you mitigate these risks, right? But using data and data analytics, we have, we have a small but mighty data analytics team that I've, I've just started to get to work with. And it's really, I mean, that's not my not at all my skill set, but listening to them and helping and having them kind of help me sort through the data shows me kind of like, you know, that's probably going to be in the next three to five years, we're going to be more focused on that. Yep. And again, for us, it's going to be, and I think for, for all of us, you know, you're not going to be going to law schools to hire those folks. Yeah. I don't Right. You're going to, you're going to be looking at computer scientists and data, data scientists, and data analytics and bringing them yep. in to, to help not just the business, but to help us in the compliance and legal area to get better. Yep. And that's again where, you know, I know my, I'm self-aware enough to know I got to hire really good people that are going to be able to teach me how to do that because that's yep. not going to be something that I'm going to yep. develop on my own. And I suppose diving just a little bit deeper in, uh, on the ops side, operations side, and, you know, the focus about running the business uh, and the importance of data. If you only had the option to do a couple of initiatives to improve the operationalization, if that's such a word, of the department, what, what would they be? Is it around external costs? Is it around efficiency of the way you deliver internal advice? What, what is that? Yeah, it would not be outside costs. It would not be outside um, costs. It would yeah. not be. It would be because all legal departments are thinly staffed, right? And, yep. and there's this, what I, I remember reading an article years ago about the tyranny of the urgent, right? That you just get wrapped up in getting stuff yep. done, right? If there was a way where we could, you know, use analytics or data to alleviate some of the non-value added work and free up my folks' time to focus on the bigger picture items, Yep. I think that would have a greater long-term impact on our performance rather than like squeezing more money out of outside counsel. Yeah. I mean, both of them would be, I mean, we could always use, I mean, my finance guys are going to throw up when they hear this. <laughs> but I'd rather I'd rather focus on lightening the load for my folks to 
do more important work yeah. than squeezing some more dollars out outside counsel. And look, the right allocation of work within the team so that they are focusing on the high value stuff, that is, I mean, that's something we hear all the time. And not only is that a benefit from the organization's point of view, it's at the individual and personal level. You want to be dealing, you know, spending your time on high value stuff rather than the, perhaps the more repetitive and the more mundane. So when you also have a number of type A personalities who aren't going to let that work slide they're going to work nights they're going to work weekends and that's when you get to the point of like you want to retain them you don't want to you don't want to burn people out and to your point you want them to be excited about the work not kind of getting wrapped up in the mundane that's that's not when people come in-house yeah then speaking of that i'm going to give you a couple of profiles the very junior lawyer the mid-tier lawyer and the senior lawyer and what advice with the benefit of your experience, would you be giving those three different profiles, each of whom are thinking about a career as a general counsel or at least an in-house yeah. lawyer, perhaps going to a general counsel position? I think early on, I, I'm repeating myself a little bit. I would tell somebody to dive into the business. Yep. Like learn about the business, ask questions, get out, understand the business. Some of the things I did, you know, like when I was in medical device early on, I did a lot of field rides, like getting out with sales reps, going to watch surgery, seeing what, how the sales reps sell product. And not only does that give you a lot of knowledge, it also builds your personal brand in terms of you know, who you are and, yep. and how your business partnership mindset and, and so forth. Yeah. I would also say to that early, the junior person, don't be afraid. And this takes a little bit of confidence, but don't be afraid to kind of you know, give business advice. You don't have to just stay in your yep. legal or compliance lane, yep. right? And I always tell people, like, the best complaint I hear is when a business client tells me, you know, I just wish so-and-so would, you know, give me more feedback outside of legal or compliance, right? Yeah. You're really smart. You know the business. I want to hear your advice on what we should do from a business perspective, not just what we're allowed to do from a compliance perspective or where the legal risk is, right? So I think that that comes with confidence and time, but if you learn the business and you, you invest that time, that'll come through. The other thing I would say is, and the three companies I've worked in are all kind of matrix organizations, invest in relationships, right? Yeah. Invest, invest, they will come back. Not only is it fulfilling, but that's how you work across a matrix, you know, whether it's within your legal operation, within when the business, whatever, like don't just make the relationships transactional, invest in them. Yeah, it took me a while myself to learn that. Yeah. And I wish someone had drummed that into me in my early years. But both things, actually, really understanding, getting out of your lane a little bit so you're not just seen as a very technical lawyer. And, and sometimes I remember finding myself saying, well, that's not a legal question. I shouldn't be answering that question. And you, all, you almost get trained like that, I think, in the early days. But being able to learn that the business partners around you are looking for guidance and not just a strict legal view which often isn't the real issue right it's it's typically more of a business issues and a lot of the times what you what i've found is you know like a president may have varying people vying for resources or ideas or or what have you and they all have you know they all have skin in the game yeah we can be a neutral fifty thousand foot observer and say well you know i kind of think this is probably the better course of action. And I, at least in my career, I've been very fortunate. And that, you know, to a certain extent, I've also sought it out in that the clients that I've had want the lawyer at the table, yeah, right? Or want to come, they want that opinion, right? You're they're like, you're a smart person, you get it. I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. 
And you also have to get a little bit comfortable too with sometimes you're just going to be wrong. And sometimes you might ask a stupid question and a lot of times they might not take your advice, but that's yeah. okay. Right. That's part of being on a team. And presumably, Rob, that kind of advice filters through not only at the junior level, but at the mid-tier and the more senior level, the more confidence the business partners, the C-suite have around you, not only your legal judgment, but your ability to weigh in on the business side, then the better your prospects. When I also think they see that going back to spending the time, they see when you spend time in the business. Yeah. They see that you care. They see that you get it, that you understand that you're empathetic because they have tough jobs, yeah. right? And we all have tough jobs, but, you know, to a certain extent, we're here to support them. And if you if you show that empathy for them, I think that pays way, way down the road. Yeah. Okay. Looking back on your career, Rob, what do you reckon you spent too much time worrying about, which on reflection has just not been time well spent? Yeah. You know, I think probably for me, I didn't, you know, I didn't go to an Ivy League school. I didn't go to like one of the top New York law firms, right? I wasn't doing like M&A at one of the top Wall Street firms. And I think early on in my career, I was, you know, a lot of my colleagues had done that. Yep. And I probably, that probably held me back a little bit from a confidence perspective. Yep. And now you get to, and again, it's easier now because really no one cares what you did 25 years ago right? It's what have you done recently? And more importantly, what are you going to do for me in the future? Yeah. Versus like, you know, they're all incredibly capable people, but I think from a, a confidence standpoint, that probably held me back a little bit. Yeah. And then, you know, I had a great boss who was just like, Hey, just, you know, you be you and that'll be fine. Right. And that, that helps a lot of just like, you know, like you're smart yeah. enough to do this and we need to hear your opinions. And that kind of helped break that like stuff that was holding me back a little bit. Yeah. That's interesting you say that actually. I mean, it, it's so much of the focus as when you're younger and you're going through education and you're getting your degrees. So much of that is about the branding of where you're going to school yeah. and where you're getting those. And so much of that is irrelevant <laughs> in the future. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I think about, I mean, I, I think about what I learned in law school and I apply almost none of it. Yeah. What I do on a day to day basis. Right. And so I think that was probably, that, you know, looking back, that's probably the one where for a few years there, I probably wasn't as, you know, it probably held me back a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, that takes time. And a lot of this just takes time and confidence. Right. Yep. Anything else to shout out as a, a waste of your past time, which had your time again, you wouldn't be worrying about? Not really. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of even the stuff that you wasted time on or worried about. You learn from all that. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's cliche, but the things that, you know, I've, I've always learned much more from the times I've screwed up than the times I've been patted on the back. So that happens. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in that one. And in fact, usually it's just that it's just time that teaches you that, you know, when you're in the middle of what you think is an absolute disaster where it couldn't have gone any worse yeah. and that you do anything to have not just gone through what you might have gone through with the benefit of time, what you thought was the worst thing that could have happened ends up being, might not be the best, but a door opener, an opportunity, yeah. something which gets created out of that. And I think at least in my career, a lot of those failures, I think, have come from communication yeah. or lack thereof, of not yeah. connecting the dots early enough, not getting to the right stakeholders, rushing to get a message out before it was really time to do so. And it's really made me more thoughtful yeah. about, you know, making sure, particularly on the front end, you know, that you you connect all the dots, you talk to all the right people and you, you're not alienating somebody 
And it goes, you know, back to that relationship, it, it, yep. investing in those relationships, knowing who you can talk to and knowing who you have to touch base with makes a world of difference. And sometimes you just got to trip over it before you realize what you have to do. Yep. Rob, I'm going to finish up with a question I like to ask all my guests. What are you most proud of both professionally and personally? I think professionally, I think I've had an impact on some people's lives and careers. I think I can point to a few people who I saw potential in yep. that... I think I've helped just like, and, and listen, yep. that happened to me in my career that I had people help me, right. That had a huge impact on my life and my career that gives me the most satisfaction. And I think, you know, when it's all said and done, that's what I'll look back on and say, Hey, you know, I was able to help so-and-so and so-and-so, you know, kind of get to where they wanted to be in their career. I think that's tremendously, yep. it's tremendously satisfying. It's funny. I, I just had yesterday, I had Phyllis Harris, the general counsel mm -hmm. at American Red Cross and speaking to her and both her and I talked about this. When I asked this question, people don't talk about their personal achievements, a case they might have won or a position they might have got. Everyone always ends up talking about the impact they had on other people. And so I think that's such a great lesson, especially for the audience out there that might be a little bit younger, yeah, that at the end of the day, what you end up remembering is the impact that you have on others rather than your own you know, personal achievements. Absolutely. The thing I'm most proud of personally, I mean, it's somewhat professional, but I, I mean, I have an unbelievable wife and two great daughters. I think, now this is something I can always get better at, right? There's no, There's always room for improvement. I think I do a pretty good job on the work-life balance. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah. I Particularly over you know, like the last six or seven years, I've had to travel a lot and that it weighs, right? It weighs heavily on everybody. Yeah, it certainly does. Although I, some, some would say me being home for a year has also weighed on, on everything, but yeah, but no, I, I think, you know, I'm still able to kind of connect with my daughters and set some time aside. I don't spend a lot of time, you know, I try not to spend a lot of time at work like around the house, I try to come up to the office now and get away. And like when I'm with the kids, yep. I try to be engaged and not kind of always checking the phone again, like everything else, right? You slip yep. and you, but I think I've done a decent enough job at that, but that, you know, my kids are still pretty young, so I still have a long way to go. Yeah. And that's, that's the tough one. That, that balance can't say I got that right in my career, entirely but the advice i give people and this this is hard yeah. right is like if you think about you know your job your family your friends your personal life a lot of us are type a where you want to be the best that you can be i've come to the realization that i can't i can't be the best at all of them yep all of them have to give up a little bit to give balance right yeah could i be maybe a better better at my job if i spent more time at it or maybe could i be a better husband and father if I didn't work as much yeah, or I'd be a better friend if I spent more time with my friends, yep. as opposed to, you know, but it's like all of them have to toggle down to a level of good enough, which is very hard to accept, but if not something suffers and then, you know, that's not good. I love that description though. All of them just have to give up just a little bit or, or toggle down just a touch. Yeah. When you also realize that like, you know, when the deal hits, the job may take precedent. Yep. And then on vacation, hopefully everything else toggles down. And then when you're at that, you know, the equilibrium and like I said, my, my wife's a lawyer, so she understands like sometimes the job just is the job and you got to, you got to work on a weekend or work late at night or whatever, but then trying to find a balance. So that's not all the time. Yep. 
you know, and so there's lots of little tricks that I've picked up over the years. And again, you know, I cop most of my tricks are stuff I see other people do and I just copy them. But that I think so far, knock on wood, I've had a, that's been a pretty good run. Well, it was fantastic to hear and fantastic advice and a great way to finish off. So, Rob, thanks so much for your time. Sensational speaking to you and the very best of continuing luck in getting that balance and that toggling between those competing life requirements. But it sounds like you're doing a fantastic job. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. It's been a pleasure. Fantastic. Bye-bye. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.